you know, I was thinking about the last couple of weeks, and I, and I felt like, you know, hearing the messages, um, you know, it's, it's an awesome thing to be able to hear different people speak and, and share. And, you know, when the messages are on point and you just see a connection, you're like, yeah, God's speaking. Um, and I was just really encouraged by just what I felt like the Lord was speaking uh, about our church and, and the season of our church, getting ready for things and, and journeying with God. And, you know, I'm thinking back and I'm going, you know what, it's almost been a year uh, since I've been at the church, we've been really looking at and planning for the vision service, and we're all excited about that. How many of you guys excited about the vision service coming up? Ooh. We like to be at the hotel eating bacon, yes. we all. <laughs> and, you know, just I think last week as, as I was listening to the message, a couple things just really stood out, and I just said, yes, this is what God is reminding us about. Um, it's about praise, and it's about turning to Jesus. Right? There's so many times where... We can get caught up doing different things, right? There's so many times where we can uh, get busy in life and, and kind of lose a focus. And uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I think Pastor Max was sharing about simplifying things and the presence of God. And I just said, yes. Uh, me being a, a worship pastor, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting for me to talk about worship and the presence of God. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, the title of the message today is, intimacy, the mark of a true worshiper. And we're going to be focusing on uh, the gospel of John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, just go ahead and turn there. Uh, you can read ahead. Sometimes it's good to just kind of get familiar with the passage. <clears throat> and I want to start by saying this, that God uh, has created all of us, each and every one of us here today, to be relational beings. Right? God has created us to be relational. He hasn't created us to be robotic or isolated. Right? He's created us to interact, to receive, and to respond. Um, he didn't want us to be isolated again. He didn't want us to be detached from things. He didn't want us to be lonesome and trying to figure the things of life out by ourselves. Okay, we're supposed to share with each other. I think uh, as early as I can remember, that's something that was reinforced, right? Well, it was one of the first things that we're taught uh, as a, a toddler is to share, right? Sharing is caring. I, I feel like I'm a broken record at home. And telling my two toddlers, uh, Dino's four and Alino's three, share. You guys have to learn to share. Okay, stop fighting over the same things. There's, you know, share. Uh, sharing is caring. And, you know, that's the great part about living in Hawaii is that we get to share the aloha, right? We get to share aloha. Let's try that this morning. Okay, let's respond. You know, I'll say aloha. Okay, I can tell who's more local, right? Those, those who are louder and more expressive. You know, I come from a, a Korean church background, and they're not as expressive. They're a little bit more subdued, okay? You, you greet them, and they're like, oh, yeah. You, know, you go to local church, and they're like, they embrace you. Hey, what's up, brother? Hey, it's good to see you. And I love that. I love that time where we can just um, get together, share, share life, uh, be expressive, be thankful for what God has been doing in our lives, um, the last thing we want to do is come to church and not connect with the people around us. Right? Um, <coughs> personality traits. How many of you guys have ever st studied personality traits before? Um, uh, Psychology Today, it's an article. It, it talks about personalities. And it says this, two major personality types are, you probably guessed it, extroverts and introverts. And you're going, okay, what side am I on already? Uh, these types are known to have unique ways of feeling re-energized and motivated. Uh, they each have characteristic ways of interacting with the world 
and processing information. Researchers will say that about 50 to 75% of the world's population are considered extroverts. So about half or more in this room, maybe you can say you're an extrovert. Okay? Um, how many of you guys have ever taken a personality test before? Anyone? How many of you guys have looked at that personality test and said, no, oh, that's wrong? <laughs> I do that all the time. I go, yeah, do I have different personalities? Because I get a different result. Um, I wasn't aware of this until I went to Korea. But apparently, when you go to Korea, uh, a question that they often ask you is, what blood type are you? And I was like, why? Are you going to take my blood? Uh, you know, they, they, they have a personality classification of, uh, on your blood type. So if you're type... Blood type A, B, A, B, O, uh, you have a certain characteristic trait. And I was like, that is so strange. That's crazy. Okay, What do you mean? I can't change or I don't, <laughs> because of my blood type? Um, if you're confused about whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, here's a solution. Okay? Psychology Today states again that there's a term, and I didn't know this. I was reading, I said, huh, called ambivert. It means to be socially comfortable and interactive yet able to relish downtime alone, more than extroverts and less than introverts. Huh. An ambivert can flow between both worlds with equal comfort, but not remain in others' company too long. Personality testing shows that ambiverts uh, are those in the middle between introvert and extrovert. And I just think they're making this up. <laughs> right? You want to you pull some of the best qualities from here and there, and you just say, I don't know, I'm somewhere in the middle. Being an introvert, extrovert, ambivert, A, B, O, whatever, blood type, um, it's only a small part of who we are. And I think we make it such a big thing. And we make a distinction and say, I'm this way because of my personality. I respond uh, to people and sometimes to God because I'm this way. And we kind of limit ourselves. The reality is that personality classification has nothing to do with what type of Christian you're called to be. Amen? God has called us to follow him regardless of what our natural disposition is, regardless of what we naturally like or don't like. God has, God has called us to follow him. Okay? It's neither an advantage or disadvantage or limitation. Uh, it's about how God wants to use us. Right? Uh, the bigger question again is, in spite of our personality, how do we respond to God's love? How do we respond to God's uh, calling, how do we respond to his voice? And those are the main things that I think when we come to worship today, we have to focus on, right? We can't just focus on what we feel or, you know, what our week's been like. But we have to say, what's God's call for my life? I really like that when, when Pastor Aaron was, was using that illustration of God calling us. If God wanting to speak into our life. And sometimes we're going, God, help me to hear your voice. But we're not in a position to listen. We're going so fast and we're doing so many things that we don't give God an opportunity to hear. Um, there's a, a commercial I, I used to watch and I'd go, ah, this commercial again? There used to be this the Verizon commercial. You guys are familiar with that? Guy's going around, he's like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And he got poached. He, he's now working for a different uh, cell phone carrier. And I was like, I thought that was really funny. But, you know, the, the message is, can you hear and can you have reception? And, you know, you don't, we can't see it today when you're looking around. But there's radio signals, frequencies, cell phones going through. And we don't see these things. We don't sense it unless you have an antenna that catches that signal. And a lot of times, uh, spiritually speaking, we can be that way. We can go and even be in a spiritual place or an environment, come to church, 
and not have an antenna up to catch the message of what God is trying to share with us. As relational beings, and we all agreed, yes, God has called us to be relational, it's important that we have a healthy openness to connect to God. Right? And some of us here, most of us here, we're saying, yes, I have an openness. I want to connect to the Lord. Or that we have a longing to be understood. I think that's important. All of us, uh, the way that God has created us, we have this longing to be understood and to communicate what we understand and what we don't understand. Right? There's a lot more of things that we don't understand. We scratch our head and we go, I don't understand, God. But, you know, it's healthy to be able to communicate that uh, and to feel a closeness to God. All those things that I just talked about, uh, the Bible talks about. You know what the Bible addresses that as? Intimacy with God. Right? We find that word in the, the, in the Bible a lot, intimacy. Upon hearing that some of us are associating other words like scary, uncomfortable for it. Okay? Uh, it's not a topic that's usually discussed or shared um, in our faith, intimacy with God. And I go, Lord, why isn't it? We need to be intimate with the Lord. We need to have an intimate relationship with our Maker, our Lord and Savior. We can't just be in a mode of just going to church, understanding about God, doing the things that everyone else is doing and, and having this false sense of connection. Unfortunately, uh, we realize that this word Intimacy has been hijacked by the world. And what do I mean by this? Uh, in a worldly perspective, if you use intimacy, and you talk about that, uh, people's minds and their thoughts are automatically, I just think of a sexual or maybe physical act with someone. And I believe that intimacy was never intended to be limited to just that. Okay, one of the most frustrating and fearful things is to feel that you'll never really be understood. Or that you'll be limited in expressing who you are in your feelings, in your thoughts, emotions, hopes, and even pains. Okay? And I, as I said, it's so important that we mention those things. Uh, that we need to express those. I, I think as relational beings, God hasn't called us to just you know, take on the, the pressure and the stress and the pain and the brokenness of the world and just, just kind of hold it and make it ours. No, I believe that Jesus has come to take those things away. He doesn't want us to live our life carrying those things around. That's not what we're identified by. Yeah, that was one of my biggest fears growing up, is that, uh, that I would never be truly understood in the person that I was. I had a lot of internal things that I struggled with, and I was like, Lord, who's going to know about this? How, how am I going to be able to express these things? I spent a lot of time in solitude, and I just said, you know, maybe that's the type of person that I am. I just be by myself, do a lot of thinking, do a lot of fishing, <laughs> do a lot of things, just being in nature by myself. I love to be um, just in nature. How many of you guys like to do outdoor things, right, just to get in solitude? Um, and then I found that, you know, as the Lord has called me into ministry, I also love to be around people. I love to be, not necessarily in the spotlight, but I just love to share with people, and I just get energized. And so I said, God, maybe I'm not really that introverted. <laughs> maybe I'm an ambivert. I didn't know. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about a biblical picture of intimacy. And I think it's important that we start there because a lot of times we, we don't have a clear picture of what that's supposed to look like. And when I talk about a picture of biblical intimacy, I'm talking about closeness. I'm talking about understanding and acceptance. Okay, where do we find that? 
um, the place of intimacy. If you can kind of just think or imagine, I want to take us back to the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. This is the original place of where God designed everything in a perfect place for there to be perfect intimacy. God and his creation, okay? Adam was a special created being, right? He was unique. He was made in the likeness and the image of God. Nothing else that God ever created was like that, right? Adam was special. He was the best thing that God ever created. Um, Adam experienced God's manifest presence daily and received the fullness of his blessing. Imagine that, Adam walking and talking with God. Every single day, that was the norm. Hearing, communicating, expressing, right? Feeling God's presence, knowing that God is always there. That was a normal thing. Of all the creation uh, in the world, they were witnessing to this specific relationship of Adam and God. That was a one-of-a-kind one relationship, was it not? Uh, in this relationship, you know what God offered? God offered eternal life. We know that before sin, before the fall, there was eternal life. Adam was not created to die in the flesh. Right? He was going to enjoy this relationship with God the Maker forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Right? That's amazing. Just, my mind just goes, right? how can you be that close to God forever and ever and ever? That, that's what God originally wanted to uh, share with us. Not only eternal life, but acceptance, joy, security, love, purpose, passion, and freedom, both in access to him and in free will. You know, God didn't create us to be robots. He didn't. He didn't create Adam to say, you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. No, he loved Adam. He actually gave him free will to choose uh, what he wanted to do. This is a beautiful picture of perfect intimacy of God the creator to his most precious creation. And you know what happened? It gets shattered. Right? It gets destroyed by the lies of the enemy. Right? It's the enemy's goal to kill, steal, and destroy all relationships. Right? That's where the power is. And I realized, I said, you know, if, God, if the enemy can get a hold of affecting your relationships, he's neutralized you as a Christian. If, if your relationships cannot be healthy in the Lord, then the enemy is, 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 have, has power over you. Okay? And ultimately, not just a relationship with people around us, but our relationship to him. That's what he's after. Okay? That's the battle that we face as Christians, is to preserve, is to do what we can to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that the number one thing in my life the most important thing is that my relationship to the Lord is strong, right? Is that we're close. The fall of man, right? What does that lead to? We find that in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 3. The fall of man, it leads to the separation of intimacy. There's a direct correlation there, okay? And not only a separation of intimacy, but the beginning of insecurity. Those two things go hand in hand. Okay, Genesis 3, 7 and 9, it says this. After disobeying, after they did the act of disobedience, then their eyes, the, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked for the very first time. Adam and Eve are going, hmm, right? Well, I feel I feel something different, right? I'm naked. I need to hide. Okay. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. Okay. Should this have startled them? No, right? We know that since the beginning, Adam knew the sound of the Lord. 
right? Adam welcomed it. But here, when they hear the sound of the Lord and God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, what do they do? They hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Can you hide from the Lord? <laughs> how, how good is that to cover yourself with all this camouflage and go on? Uh, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? Where are you? And I just, sometimes I laugh at that, right? that the Lord is, is actually going, where are you? I see you. I, I play hide and seek with my kids. And um, they, they count really fast. And while they're counting, they look like this. Right? And then they hide. And then when they're hiding, like, you know, their feet are showing. <laughs> and I pretend not to see them. And I look around and go, where are you? This is, this is what the Lord was doing with Adam and Eve. They're hi- trying to hide from the Lord. Um, a sense of insecurity and a loss of intimacy. And the only way for that intimacy to be restored is for God to pursue, pursue and to initiate this process of removing what sin is already destroyed. And God asked that question, where are you? Right? He doesn't say, why did you sin? He says, where are you? I want to find you. I want to help you. I want to restore what was lost. And that's such an important thing that we need to remember about who God is, is that he's always seeking us out. I know a lot of times you hear this from people. You go, they'll say, you know what? I can't, I can't go to church. I, I don't know. If, if I go to church, then something bad will happen. Like, I'm just afraid. I, I have too much things in my life. I don't know if God will accept me. God is the one who pursues us, even when we are in, in our mistakes. Okay, God's desire is to reconnect this intimate relationship with all of his people. Whenever Israel failed, right? whenever Israel disobeyed God and they started worshiping idols and doing all these things and, and losing their focus on God, you know what he calls uh, his people, Israel? He calls them, he doesn't call them sinners. He doesn't call them uh, people who are just idolaters he calls them adulterous and that's a powerful word when there's a brokenness of intimacy right and we use that word uh in the context of marriage right and it's a serious thing where god he says the offense of the people is not just that they sinned but that they their hearts are now connected to something else and that they're an adulterous generation or people he wants to restore what, what, what he intended in the Garden of Eden. Jesus, he gives us a glimpse of what true worship is in dealing with the Samaritan woman. So let's go ahead and jump into our passage today. Again, John chapter 4. Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman. Okay? Just like God in the Garden of Eden. He's saying, where are you? Jesus finds and he speaks to this woman. And the first point is this. Jesus purposely enters Samaria and that God is seeking out worshipers. That's the blank there. God is seeking out worshipers. Okay, Jesus purposely enters this place called Samaria. Uh, Jesus, I believe he's intentional and strategic in his travels. Jesus is not just wandering aimlessly. Right? No, Jesus has a timetable of what he wants to get accomplished. He's very strategic in where he goes. Uh, and he seems to show up at the right place at the right time with the right answers, right? When you read the stories in the Bible, you go, how did Jesus know? How did, how did God end up there? And it just perfectly matches. It just always seems to happen that way. Jesus 
is always finding people to minister to, right? And I was like, Lord, you just have a sense of being drawn to the need of ministry. And today, um, I think the Lord is, is drawn to this place because, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we need some ministry. We need some things that God needs to speak to us about. God needs to reveal. And um, ministry opportunities, I believe, are what I call divine appointments. How many of you guys have heard that uh, used before, divine appointments? Ministry opportunities are divine appointments. Anyone have a divine appointment with God before? Where you're like, this is God's timing. God is in this moment. God set this up. Right? I've had so many times where I'm like, this is God. Like, I have to pursue this. I have to say yes to this because the Lord brought this person right now. Uh, maybe the most inconvenient time, but the Lord has brought this person and I need to uh, interact. I need to find out what God wants. And I was reminded that this is true of ministry. And, and while we're on the topic of ministry, I just wanted to give a shout out today. Uh, happy uh, Pastors Appreciation Month. And so I just wanted to thank our <laughs> pastors, Pastor Mark, Pastor Max. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, this is Pastors Appreciation Month. month. Uh, reach out to them, right? A little encouragement goes a long way. I see, brother. <laughs> you know, ministry... <laughs> ministry doesn't happen when we're rested. And I, I just want to point that out because Jesus, uh, he's encountering this woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And we're going to find out later that Jesus needed some rest probably. He's traveling in. A lot of times, you know, as pastors... <laughs> There is no rest. Um, Pastor Max was just sharing. You know, he's, he was getting some phone calls, and you know, I just said, you know what? Jesus knows that. Jesus knows what it's like to be uh, kind of confronted with all these ministry opportunities, maybe at the most inconvenient times, even when you're tired, right? Uh, ministry happen, often happens along the way. When you have to get from point A to point B, and you're like, ah, okay. It happens for Jesus all the time. Uh, ministry happens when you let go of prejudices, right? when you can look at a situation, not judge it, and just be obedient to what God has called you to do. Uh, ministry happens when you sometimes least expect it, okay? least expect it. So keep your eyes open. Expect God to lead us into the things of ministry. Uh, I want to show us a quick picture. You can get a picture up there. It's a picture of uh, a map. And... If you look at it, maybe maybe some of these names and this geography pops out. How many of you guys are good with geography? You can remember things. I was really bad. <laughs> so it helps me to kind of organize and see where Jesus is going. Um, and I just want to go over a quick timeline, timeline of events of this story that I'm about to share. The first thing is that Jesus, in John chapter 2, uh, he changes water into wine. How many of you guys remember that story? He's at a wedding. They run out. Jesus' mom says, go talk to Jesus. He'll figure it out. And lo and behold, the first miracle of Jesus is changing water into wine. Where is, where is Cana, Galilee? It's up there, right? It's up in that region. So he does that. And then the second thing he does is he goes down to Jerusalem. Can you guys find Jerusalem? Okay, you guys are looking. Just go down. Okay, Jerusalem. He goes down to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And then Jesus journeys back to, to Cana. Uh, he goes back up to Galilee, and 
It's about a 40-mile journey, and that's not an easy road to take. So imagine going 40 miles, and maybe the hottest part of the day, um, and it's a rocky desert area. It's not an easy trek. Jesus heads back up to Galilee in Cana and heals the official son. And those are the two recorded first and second miracles of Jesus. So look at it. He goes from Galilee, comes down, goes to Jerusalem, and then he goes back up. And then on the way up, this is where the story takes place. Okay? Most of the time, people would come down from Galilee, and they'll cross the Jordan and go into that right side and make their way down to Jerusalem. And there's a reason why uh, Jewish people did that. I'm going to share a why. But in this case, Jesus goes straight up, and he goes through Samaria. Okay? Let's go into this story. And before I share this story, just a little bit background of um, Jewish people and Samaritans. Uh, most Jews avoided Samaria. This was a hostile territory for them. So that middle area, most Jewish people went around it. It wasn't a place for them to go. It was the wrong part of the neighborhood. Uh, Jews and Samaritans were not to have any dealings with each other. And in fact, Jews considered Samaritans to be less than dogs. Right? That's terrible. Uh, and the reason for that is because Samaritans were a mixed race. They were uh, Hebrew and Assyrians. And so there's a lot of just bad blood and history with Israel and Assyrians. And you can imagine what a shock it was to have the Samaritan woman encounter Jesus. And there's two significant things that present a problem in this encounter. Something that um, is not on the surface here. Again, number one was her race and nationality. That was a, a barrier for this encounter. But it happens. The second more important thing is uh, her gender, her being a woman, okay, really presented a barrier for ministry uh, and this encounter to happen. Jewish men did not speak to women in public. Okay? I know that seems harsh, but that was just the custom of the day. Jewish men did not speak to women in public. Many Jewish men, you know how they started their day? They started their day with prayer, and they started their day thanking God. And probably in this order, they, they said, Lord, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, like a Samaritan. And then they said, thank you that I'm not a slave. And then lastly, they probably said, thank you that I'm not a woman. And this was just their attitude. This was just a way of life for these Jewish men or these Jewish religious people. Okay, Hebrew men did not talk to women in the streets. Right? Didn't matter. Didn't matter if it was your mother. Didn't matter if it was your sister or your daughter or even your wife. You didn't talk to women in the streets. Could you imagine that, guys, today? No talking to women. No talking to your wives in the public. It would be a quiet town. <laughs> What's this quietness, right? Um, that's, that's funny. You know, Pharisees, those who were the most, considered the most religious or educated, the elite in the Jewish culture, uh, they went so far as to do this. Okay? They didn't talk to women in public. They didn't talk to women in the streets. If they saw a woman coming down the street, and this is just their religiousness coming out, you know what they would do? They would close their eyes. <laughs> All right, that's kind of taking it a little bit too far. And they would continue to walk and bump into things. <laughs> you can imagine these, these Jewish men in their long robes and their tassels acting all holy and then bumping into stuff because they're like, oh. I said, man, it's a hard thing to be in Hawaii. <laughs> when I came to Hawaii, I said, oh, Lord, 
I have to make covenant with my eyes because everywhere I look, it's just, it's not good. I have to be conscious of where I look. Okay, I have to look up. And, and this was just a, a way of life for Jewish people. And that's why Jesus, when he refers to the Pharisees, he says, it's the blind leading the blind into a grave. Okay? They have no insight. We know that from this story, Jesus does something unexpected at that time. And sometimes God needs to do that, right? If it's just the ordinary, mundane things, it doesn't get our attention. God sometimes has to do the unexpected to get our attention. Okay? What do we know about this setting here? Some of you guys have already read ahead in John as I'm talking. Uh, it's at this place called Jacob's Well. Okay, it's at the sixth hour of the day or about 12 p.m. And Jesus is thirsty for a drink. He's probably like, I don't want to talk. I just walked 20-some miles or 30 miles and I just need a drink. John chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Let's read these verses. Now he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? So Jesus is waiting for this Samaritan woman. And he initiates this encounter. He says, will you give me a drink? And her response is this. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Okay, duh, that's that's true. Uh, How can you ask me for a drink? She's stating the obvious. But if you know the rest of the story, I think what she's really asking Jesus is, why would you want to interact with me? That has to be in her mind, and she's going, why are you trying to talk to me? What are you trying to get from this encounter? And inside, I just imagine her saying this. She's saying, you don't know the person that I am. You don't know the person that everyone else sees me as. And you don't know the person that I don't want people to see. That's probably what she's sensing when she's stating these things to Jesus. How do we respond when God's love is calling? How do we respond when God wants to encounter us? That's very important. Jesus, in this moment, with this one question, he breaks down generations of racism, of hatred, uh, even gender inequality, with a single question, will you give me a drink? And obviously, Jesus is not there just to drink water from this well. That's not his agenda. But Jesus encounters, he engages, he initiates this conversation. Second thing is that Jesus offers the woman the gift of eternal life. And that's a blank there. Gift of eternal life. Jesus asks for a drink, but what he really wants to do is give this woman eternal life. And we hear that a lot, the gift of eternal life. And as a Christian, sometimes we hear it so much, we just go, ah, it's just God's gift and we'll fail to see is sometimes that when we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about e- eternal closeness with God. Okay, we're, again, called to be relational. And I'm going, Lord, that's what I was missing for a good chunk of my life is this closeness to God. And God, that's what you want to offer me? Right? Most of us in here, all of us in here should say, yes, thank you. Lord, I want to be eternally connected and close to you. That's what I was missing. That was a void in my life. Jesus answers, answers her this way. 
If you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13 and 14 says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Just imagine that. Spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the gift that God is wanting all of us to take, to receive. Jesus offers the gift of God. And this amazing thing that God is he's ministering in this moment, and this is why he's come to this well, is to give the gift of God, which is supposed to result in living water. And the question for us today is, can we define our lives and associate that with living water? Right, I live uh, near Kunawai Springs. Anyone of you guys know where that is? And yeah, there's a, a, a natural spring there, and there's a, a little pond that I take my kids there to look at. And I, I look at the ground, and you can actually see the water coming up out of the ground, and it fills this pond. And I go, you know what? So much just tranquility and peace when you're there. And I'm looking at that and going, God, thank you, Lord, for this water that is creating life. Right? It's not just a stagnant pool of, ugh. <laughs> it's flowing. It's alive. It's creating life. Right? That's what God's gift to us is supposed to be like, is that our lives are supposed to be flowing with this living water. And a lot of times I'm going, God, I don't sense that in my life. What am I missing here? Uh, you give the gift of life, which is supposed to be it, it, this living water welling up to be a spring of life, and a lot of times I don't sense it. Right? Some of us here are like that today. We're going, God, where is that, that living water that's supposed to be flowing in my life? Living water. In the ancient world, um, even, and even places around the world today, water is more precious than gold. Did you know that? Water is more precious than gold. Water is a sustaining resource uh, we all need to survive. We all need to survive. Right? Imagine living life without clean, drinking water or water around us. Physically, everyone who was ever born needs water to survive, yes. Spiritually, everyone needs living water to be born again. Okay? You cannot be born again without having living water. Okay? And notice that Jesus does not refer to himself as a living water in this passage. He says he would give the living water and that when she would receive it, she would never thirst again. Okay, this is what's supposed to happen. Uh, I want to just skip ahead to John chapter 7. And it talks about this living water. Okay. On the last and greatest day, this is Jesus talking, of the festival, Jesus stood, said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those uh, who believed in him were later to receive. That's for us, guys. That's the new covenant uh, context of receiving the Holy Spirit. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus has not been glorified. Okay, Jesus hasn't ascended yet. and So he's talking about the Holy Spirit that is to come. Right? When the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, it's supposed to create this living water that's going to spring up like a wellspring of life uh, from our hearts. Salvation. The offer of salvation to a rebellious world is expression of God's grace. It's a free gift 
The world did not uh, ask for this gift. It's a free gift. The world is, when you look at the world, right? Now the world didn't say, God, we need your grace and your forgiveness. No, Jesus Christ came. Right? He initiated that. Uh, it cannot be merited or earned. Right? That's an important thing. Sometimes we go, as long as I just live a clean life or a good life, I can have eternal life. And Jesus is going, no, that's not what it's about. It's something that only I can give. It's something only available through Jesus. And, and Jesus, um, as he's offering this gift of God, right, the normal reaction should be, yes, give me this gift. Thank you. I need this. Uh, but the reaction from this woman is not what we expect. Uh, there's something that she was misunderstanding. It brings us to the third thing. Jesus exposes her sin because it's settling for less. And the blank there should be settling for less. There's a gift that's being offered. It's a free gift. And yet, Jesus, he does something here, which I think begins to turn the story around. He exposes her sin because it's settling for less. And here's a conversation that Jesus has with her. Uh, verse 16, he says, He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man that you have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. If I was her, I would have probably denied it. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> she, she's so startled at Jesus knowing this about her. She's like, Yes, what you said is quite true. Ouch. You know, this conversation just got real. All right? She's not walking away from this and just, right? She's fixated. She's captivated about what Jesus has to say. And that's something um, I think that really stuck out to me when I was reading that. Is that naturally when sin gets exposed in our life, uh, we want to retreat. We want, I don't want people to know that about me. I want to hide away, maybe deny it. This woman, she listens to what Jesus has to say after her sin has been exposed. It's, a, it's harsh, but I, I believe it's necessary that Jesus share this revelation. Uh, and this is what the issue that Jesus wanted to really deal with. Um, it's actually what's going to set this poor woman free from a life of false intimacy. And I don't really have too much time to talk and really discuss this, but... I want to say that false intimacy will always try to take away from true intimacy. Okay, that's just the nature of what it does. Whatever you are keeping close to your heart in order to find acceptance, joy, security, love, and happiness and freedom outside of Jesus uh, is already probably becoming a form of false intimacy. And it's most likely distracting you from worshiping Jesus right at this moment. Uh, some things in our current day uh, society that might uh, be some areas of alert, right? Virtual reality. That's becoming more and more popular. Fantasy. These things of fantasy. Uh, these dramas of fantasy, even. There's, you know, we can't get so absorbed in that. Right? It's taking away. It's, it's creating in us this false intimacy. Uh, maybe gameplay. Maybe it's some things of magic. Even so, social media can play a part in that, or addictions. Okay. Maybe it's not a specific sin, but just rebellion. Okay? 
Uh, much of our rebellion, I believe, could be coming from a lack of intimacy with the Lord. Uh, I found that to be true in my life. When I felt disconnected from the Lord, when I felt like there was a disconnect, um, it was probably due to the lack of intimacy with the Lord. Okay? And it was sinful things or things that distracted my attention. Okay? It's significant because rebellion is disobedience in attitude and action towards God. Right? In attitude and action. And that's what Satan promotes. And you think about what Satan is good at. He's good at promoting rebellion. Sometimes we get to allow ourselves to get sucked into that. Okay? Remember at the beginning of the story, Jesus shows up at the sixth hour, at 12 o'clock, midday, to meet this woman. Who comes to draw water at the middle of the day? And normally the ladies would get up early in the morning and would go as a group and maybe even before sunup would go to collect all the water that's needed for the day. And they would help each other. This unnamed Samaritan woman uh, was a broken and lonely soul who had no choice but to shamefully avoid people for the rest of her life, or so she thought. Jesus waits for this right moment to expose her in her sin. And it comes immediately after uh, what this woman says. Okay? There's a moment where Jesus is going, yeah, I'm not coming out all of a sudden and going to expose your sin. I'm going to wait. And the moment comes after this. It's after when this woman says this. She says, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Okay? Did you see it? She was asking Jesus for the water so that she didn't have to come back to this well. Right? She was going to be content for the rest of her life if she could just avoid having to face the ridicule and embarrassment of coming back to this well. Right? It wasn't about her lifestyle. It was just having to deal with people and society. And I think, you know, she was basically just saying, give me an excuse to live in my sin and my shame. If you just give me this water, I don't know what it really it's all about, but I don't have to come here and feel shamed in front of people. I can live the way I live and not have to deal with getting in water. Right? Because we all know, you only, only go a few days without water. You have to come back to this well. You have to face, you have to face things in life. And she was just looking for an excuse. She was okay being stuck in this revolving cycle of, of trying to find love in all the wrong places. And Jesus was saying, no, it's, you've had enough of that. It's time that you get set free from this bondage or the cycle of sinfulness or settling less. He was going to deal with it at the well. Right? And I, I just go, there's something there where God wants to deal with our sinfulness at the well. Okay, we can't run. Right? We can't run away and, and pretend like those things are not there in our life. Jesus wants to deal with it. God is into freedom, amen? He wants us to be free, to be set free. Uh, he doesn't want us to settle for less. And sometimes when we compromise, sometimes when we allow sin to just stagnate and take over our life, we're settling for less. And we know that sin is, is going to create a disconnect of intimacy from the Lord. We know that sin is going to take away and it's actually going to hinder our walk with the Lord. And, you know, there are Christians that, have been Christians a long time, and they still are dealing with the same things. And I'm going, no, we need to realize when, this, when Jesus talked to this woman, things changed right away. And we see from her response. 
uh, we know that he doesn't condemn her in her sin. And that, I think that's something that's important. Now, Jesus doesn't come out. His attitude is not to say, you're a sinner. She knows that. Everyone in the town knows that. Uh, Jesus doesn't come to condemn her in a sin. He didn't come all this way to do that. Uh, he exposes it in a very direct and uh, respectable way even. The reason why I can say that is, is that because there's no one else around. Okay, we know that from the story. Jesus, while he's waiting for this woman, while he's having this conversation, no one else is around. His disciples are they're in town looking for food. And so they're not in the way. And Jesus begins to share these things. Not to embarrass her, not to humiliate her. Uh, the enemy would, would love nothing more for us to try to cover up our sin. Right? To deceive us to think that we have a handle on sin. And you know, I, I don't know why you know, this, this is such a, a major thing of what I want to share today. Is, but I think the Lord, um, he has a way of exposing things. And it's for our own good. Uh, if, it w- if it was up to us, we would say, no, God, I want to keep things concealed. I want to think- keep things covered up for as long as I can. And God is going, no, that's settling for less. That's why he had to encounter this woman. Uh, Joanne shared the verse last week, and it just really stuck out. And it was a verse on turning from evil or what evil doesn't like. John 3.20 says this, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And sometimes this is talking about even followers or believers. Is that we don't like when the light shines on us. We don't like when God is exposing things. But there's a reason why he has to do that. Okay, if we're going to deal with it, God has to expose it. Amen? He can't deal with it if, if we're always going, Lord, no, I don't want to come into your presence. I don't want the light of God to shine down and examine my life. We remember that Jesus is the authority to deal with sin, amen? Um, it's not anyone else. It's Jesus himself that deals with our sin. And we have to let Jesus do that. Uh, we have to let Jesus dismantle that web of guilt, shame, pain, maybe even unforgiveness. I once heard this, and I, and I, I think I have to agree. Right? And it was a statement. Um, in a message I heard that the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that Christians, as Christians, we have the authority to, we have the authority in Jesus Christ to victoriously deal with our sin. Amen. As Christians, we have the authority of Jesus Christ to be victorious in our sin. As a non-Christian, I'm sorry, but they don't have that authority. If you don't have the authority of Jesus you know what, you can try all your, all your best, but those issues of sin are still going to be there. You look at people who are very successful, people who are very driven, uh, people who have a lot of willpower, you know, they're still dealing with sin. The answer is in allowing Jesus to handle it. That's where our authority is. Okay? Um, and Jesus, when he talks to this woman, uh, he talks to this woman and he doesn't condemn her. And I was reminded about John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably the most famous verse in our generation that we see all postered everywhere is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 16, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Amen. 
Exposing of sin is a powerful revelation. We have to trust that God will take it and will heal us and will restore us. Uh, God will never threaten to use our past against us. That's not what the Lord does. Again, Jesus is offering to give us intimacy in spite of our past mistakes. And that's good news for us today. And that's good news for me, that I can be intimate with God, uh, even when my heart is not right, even when I've made a lot of mistakes. Proximity of worship. And this is what I want to share on worship. It's very important. Um, God doesn't want us to stand afar in worship. And when I think about worship in the Old Testament, there was a classification, a distinction between who could come close to God and who couldn't. Right? If you are not a Jewish person, you had to stay in the outer courts. If you're a woman, you had to stay in the outer courts. You could not come into an intimate place of worshiping God. And even from there, there was another level. And, and only the high priest could go to the most holy of holies to interact and to encounter God's presence. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And as he says that, we see that the veil has been torn. And God has said, now there's access to the heart of God. And he doesn't want any of his worshipers to stand afar. Okay? God wants us to come close. The last thing is this. Jesus teaches that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay? Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Okay, quickly, I just want to talk about the spirit and truth, those two things. Right? As worshipers of God, he's saying you need these two things, the spirit and the truth. The spirit's talking about the anointing. Okay? Things of the spirit are born in the spirit. They can only be spiritual things. Sp- things of the spirit can only be born in the spirit. And, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, uh, Lord, let heaven come down. Let the kingdom of heaven come down on earth. Okay? A person who does not have the Holy Spirit cannot worship the God in spirit. Okay? The spirit brings life. The spirit always testifies to the truth of who God is. I think you come away with, in any time of worship, if you miss Jesus, the spirit was not there. The spirit always testifies to the revelation of who Jesus is. And the truth, where do we find truth? We fight in the word of God. Yeah, I know a lot of times when we're worshiping, a lot of songs that we sing, they're taken straight out of passages in the Bible that talk about who God is. Okay, the word of God, the testimony of Jesus is true. That's what we understand truth from. It's from Jesus Christ himself. And he teaches us about worship. God's word fuels us. It teaches us about what it means to connect with him. And it corrects us if we're wrong. And I think that's the amazing thing. When you read God's word, you go, you know what? This passage is talking about how to worship the Lord. This passage is talking about how we need to connect with him, how we need to not be afar, but we need to come close. Jesus says to this woman, you know, you mentioned this Messiah. I who am talking to you, I am he. I'm this person that you've been waiting for all this time. And I want to just close with, a statement that uh, really stuck with me. It is from a book that I read. Um, 
The Pleasures of God, written by Dr. John Piper. And he says this, missions exist because God, uh, missions uh, exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship is not only the goal of missions, it's also what fuels missions. Passion for God and worship precedes the offer of God and preaching. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. What's our response today? I talked about a lot of things. Intimacy, sin, worship, having an understanding of worship. You know, every week we have an opportunity. We come and we sing songs. And, you know, I think what the Lord wants for us, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, is that we respond, is, is that we say, yes, God, I, I have an openness to connect with you, maybe in a deeper way that, than I've ever encountered you. It took one encounter at a well for this woman's life to be transformed. Right? She's different today because of that one conversation. Right? God restored in her that intimate relationship that she's been looking for. And many of us, if we're honest, we're, we're craving that intimacy with God. We don't know how to express it at times. Uh, there's so many things in the way, but you know, there's an opportunity today, this morning, for the Lord to speak to us. Uh, let's all stand if we can. You know, this, the Revelation song, I'm so glad they, they chose this song. <laughs> You look at Revelation chapter 19, it talks about the great multitude of people. And they're standing before God's glory. And there's just a thunderous roar. And the only thing that they can say is, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. We're not there yet. We're not seeing Jesus face to face. But sometime soon, Jesus is coming back. And that's the type of worship that he wants from us. Lord, we just say that we're open to you today. God, we ask, Lord, that you would just begin to remove anything that is a disconnect, anything that's in the way right now. It doesn't matter what sin. God, you can deal with it. You can expose it. And God, we trust you to do that. We just pray right now that you would begin to make alive all of our senses, all the things that you intended, every area of our heart to encounter your embrace today, this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? And I just want us to be open and to say, God, I need you to speak to me. And maybe you've been sensing the Holy Spirit leading you um, in this message Maybe you're saying, God, I'm that person. I'm that person that needs to hear your voice today. I'm that person that needs to respond. And I just want to lead us through a prayer right now. And it's a very personal prayer that I want us to just say. Lord, I want to love you, Lord, with all of my heart. Lord, I want to love you with all of my soul. 
and with all of my strength and with all of my mind. God, would you restore areas that are broken and hurting right now? God, would you make me whole in your presence? God, you are my strength. God, would you pour over me the oil of your anointing? God, we just pray right now that the living water of the Holy Spirit would just begin to rise in our souls. That we would know the fullness of you, God, today. Lord, thank you that you love me. Thank you, Lord, that you died for my sin, that you died for my separation. God, that you restore that today. And Lord, we just pray for that encounter this morning, the things that we need, and we just trust you for that. We're just going to sing, and as the worship team sings, don't miss this opportunity. Say, God, I want to sense you, God. I want to come close to you in worship. I don't want to be afar. Just receive that. Just for a few more moments.